This is episode 88 with Mike Vardy of Productivityist.com. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign, that's going to make your life super easy. They are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. I'm Kirsten. And today, um, actually, you know what? If you've been a longtime listener of the show, I think over a year ago, it's that time of year when I start to bring back the TTT speakers uh, on my show. But I think Mike is actually the only one this year that I've invited onto the show. Um, And I'll tell you a little bit of a story why I feel that it was relevant to bring on a guy self-proclaimed as productivityist uh, or the productivityist. We'll get into that. But he is the most productive man I've ever met. And he also has boiled it down to a science. So um, this episode is twofold. One of them is going to be... um, really talking about productivity at a high level, because one thing I find that a lot of the entrepreneurs or people that I speak to, they're juggling a full-time job with a product launch. And that requires some creativity if you don't want to completely get rid of your social life and still get stuff done. Um, But the other thing is like uh, Mike and Anne met... um, Anne is his wife, just to paraphrase that a bit, but we met at Tropical Think Tank in the Philippines about three weeks ago. And... We're just sitting down at the bar and Mike's like, what do you do? And I say, well, I help people launch Kickstarter projects. And immediately Anne was like, Mike backs so many projects, he's not allowed to back them anymore. And I was like, that's interesting. So of course we launch into this full blown nerd conversation about Kickstarter. And so I thought this show is going to cover two things. Um, I've applied some of Mike's productivity tips to my own business, and this guy really, really, really knows what he's doing, and I think that it's going to be a killer episode from that perspective, and then what we're going to do at the end is we're actually going to cap off with how he has backed more than 50 projects, it sounds like, and um, just dive into the crowdfunding realm from the 
angle of a backer, because I find that a lot of project creators don't get to hear about why somebody would choose to back a project or cancel a pledge or, or that sort of thing. So I'm really stoked to like actually dive into this on a two pronged episode. So we're going to try and keep this under an hour, but I mean, Mike, I'm going to shut up and just let you introduce yourself and, and everything. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. So how did Mike Vardy turn into a, being a productivityist? Well, it, it basically started um, working for when I was working for Costco, and I'm originally from your neck of the woods. That's I was born and raised in Hamilton, Ontario, Canadian. which is which is not, which is not too far from uh, Hamilton. Is like the poor, uh, like the little brother or the uh, you know the 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 little cousin to Toronto. Uh, Hamilton wanted to be Toronto. I think it still does. So I grew up there and then I moved. Um, I actually opened a co- uh, I was part of the, one of the Costco's near Toronto. And then I moved out West to Victoria, British Columbia, where, which is where I live now. And I became a manager of one of them out there. And, and what I was trying to do is balance these different departments I was running. Cause I was managing two different departments. I was managing the, uh, if you've ever been in a Costco, there's the hot dog area where you buy the hot dog and pop for like a buck ninety nine, the food court. Yep. And then there's then there's the service deli, which is where the rotisserie chickens are and the shepherd's pie and the chicken pot pie. I was running both those departments. Very different departments too. One is more of an impulse buy, you know, make it as you as you need it. Whereas the the deli is more of a you have to plan it out, make sure that things don't, you know, you have enough material to go in when when the other one is coming off the shelf. So very different departments, and I had to figure out a way to balance all that. Plus, I just met my my uh, my future wife, so I was trying to balance a personal life, and I was also starting to get back into comedy, which is what I was doing, you know, back in Ontario for a while. So I had to, I, I I'm like, I need to, I need to figure out a way to do this. I need to balance all this stuff, and and I ended up uh, studying productivity at that point. I ended up reading the works of like Stephen Covey and David Allen, who wrote Getting Things Done, and. And even I mean, t- Tony Robbins was one of the first ones I read because he has this program called Time of Your Life. And what happened was, is I became really passionate about productivity. I was fascinated by the different ways that people, you know, the different methodologies and different frameworks. And it became the thing that started to really kind of take over. So I was a productivity enthusiast at first. And as I worked my way out of Costco, because this thing kind of took over, uh, I eventually left Costco. I worked my way from being a manager down to um, one of the people that works at the front door. And uh, that was my last job at Costco was the guy who was at the front door saying, hey, welcome to Costco. Uh, and it was great because I, I saved all my bandwidth uh, for working on, on this job as, as being a productivity strategist. And that's um, what I what happened was I went from a productivity enthusiast to a specialist, which meant I started training people in their different methodologies that already existed. And then I became a strategist because I've come up with my own methodology, which is a lot of what you heard about at Tropical Think Tank. Yeah. Sorry. I need to go back. You sure. said that you started as a manager and you ended up as the door clerk. Um, yep. Don't people usually get promoted up? Like, what was... Well, I, can I, you just I did. dig into that? Yeah. So when I started at the Costco in, in Ontario, I was one of the... Like, I moved up very quickly. So I started off... Um, I was given an option to start either as a front end cashier or in the food court as a, as a, and the front end cashier would have been a seasonal job, which meant that there was no guarantee I'd be kept on afterwards. And the food court job was, Hey, you're, you're going to be permanent, uh, but it pays less. So I went with a permanent job cause you know, money, job bills. Uh, and so, uh, I ended up doing that and I worked my way up really quickly. I was a manager within two years of, uh, working at Costco. 
And, but I had to move to become a manager. So that's why when I left Ontario, I went to, I went out West uh, and, you know, as they were opening new Costco's, that's how I worked my way up. But you're right. Most, so I worked my way up to that level. And then when I realized that, uh, I, that was as high as I really wanted to go, I wanted my life back. I wanted my time back. And, and once you hit a certain level of management, I don't care what organization you're in, um, there is a feeling that you lose control of your time over your, over your, you know, over your own path in a lot of ways. And so I bought, uh, you know, I kind of waited until the right job presented itself. And I was already starting to do some stuff on the side that was bringing in a little bit of income anyway. And I saw the job that said we, you know, member service, which is the people that work the front door. And because I, at that point I've been working with for Costco for about 10 years at that point, I said, you know, first off, uh, it's part-time, which is perfect because to go from full-time to part-time, that was the other thing too. I went from manager full-time to part-time member service person. So I went from, you know, making high five figures at the time to, you know, low five figures. Uh, but the key was, is that if I was working as a part-time employee, uh, they couldn't schedule me for any more than 25 hours. That's how it was at the time. I know they've changed it since then. And I wanted them to have to ask me to stay later rather than them me having to go to them and say, hey, can I go home early today to work on my thing? No, I wanted to have the control. So once that job showed up, I walked into my warehouse manager's office and I always had in my mind, when the right job comes up, I'm going to go in, tell him that I'm giving him a month's notice and he can find, and that gives him enough time to get somebody in and so on and so forth. And I'm going to go work the front door. And that's literally how it went down. Um, and when I left Costco, I was in a position where, you know, we had enough money coming in. I timed it so that I got my bonus and all that stuff so that the, the pain point of, of making less money wasn't as harsh. We did adjust our lifestyle. You could talk to Anne about that. That was a fun time when we had to adjust our lifestyle from making, you know, high five figures to low, low five figures. But the payoff was huge. So it was it, it was a way of mitigating risk. And I think a lot of people, when they are starting something new and they want to leave the old thing, a lot of them just get so frustrated, like, that's it, I'm out of here. And they quit their job. And then they, they, they throw caution to the wind and they hope that the thing's going to work out. I knew that Costco, and it, Costco still is, it's a great place to work. It's very reliable, very secure. But I wanted to have a job where I could go in, uh, you know, be basically do for me brain dead work and save all of my mental bandwidth for the thing that I really wanted to pursue. And, and it's funny because um, a quick side story is the guy that uh, there's a guy that works at the front door still at Costco. And he's actually a, a, a Canadian musician. Um, and, and he I didn't like him when we first started. He has still worked the front door. So when I was a manager, he was a guy that I felt was, you know, didn't really work very hard and kind of lazy and I felt that way about him by the time I left him and I were both working the front door him the exit me the entrance and vice versa and we were we became fast friends because he had always thought of Costco as a way to help support what he really wanted to do and I always thought of it as a place to invest and spend your life and work your way up which a lot of people do because it is a great company to work for um so that that's interesting he's still there doing that but he's still making music and doing that stuff on the side. And, and he's got the security and he, yet he still has the ability to, to, to create art. I I'm fortunate because when I did leave, I was trying to do comedy more than doing the, the stuff I'm doing now. Um, so I didn't make a lot of money when I first left Costco. It took about three years to really get back to the level of income that I was making when I, when I was working at Costco and I've been gone now when I left in 2005, early 2006, I think it was. 
Um, so it's been what, 11 years. And now I'm making more money than I ever did at Costco. And, uh, you know, I go back in there every once in a while and there's still, you know, I mean, you go, you, you've, you've probably been to places that you've worked at and, you know, there's a lot of the same people there or there's people that there's a new face in the role that you're used to see filling and being filled. And I, and I see that and I've had some people say, what's it like on the other side? Like what's, what's it like out there? Because Costco is a very different company to work for. It treats your employees very well, but it's a lot of business. I mean, you, you get treated so well that you never leave. And I was one of the people that got out as, you know, people did not expect me to go. My warehouse manager did not expect me to say, Hey, I'm quitting. Uh, he was relieved because I wasn't doing a very good job at that point. He's like, oh, good. All right. Well, we're going to put you on the front end and be a cashier. I'm like, no, no, here's here's the job I want. And he said, you want to go from making this to going to do this? And I told him exactly why. Uh, and he knew that he, I had to have the job because I had the most seniority. So there was no way that they could give it to anybody else. And and so it, I, I, I worked the system pretty well. I'm a big fan of systems, Kirsten. <laughs> big really? Fan. <laughs> Being the... Being a productivityist, of course, and I remember when you when I first like tried to say productivityist, yeah. I it just it like jumbled in my mouth. I'm like, I so you're a productivity guy, and I know I bet that you probably get when you meet new people, they're like, okay, what's your number one productivity hack? But I don't want to ask you. That what I want to ask you is how you discovered your own system for productivity because it seems like that has been beaten with a dead horse, but you still managed to come up with something that was really effective and like Mike's secret sauce that you know that people can use and get real results in their life. So I'm curious, like how did you start to discover your own system and then what makes up that system? I just I started to discover my own system when I realized the systems that I was using weren't working in their entirety. So, for example, if I'm using a, a system like getting things done, there are elements of it that were breaking. And and uh, I mean, I I received a lot of flack when I when I posted um, a series saying why I'm not doing getting things done or GTD any longer. I had a lot of people that were siding with me and said, "You're right. It's for me. It's just too much to manage." And I had others saying, "You're doing it wrong." And how dare you? So you have these purists, right? These cult, and there is, there's like with, with productivity systems and frameworks, you have people that are devotees, like really hardcore into it. And I mean, the productivity space is, it's, it's, it's a weird space because you're right. Everyone's trying to hack a lot of stuff. And, and, and I don't believe, I mean, if you hack too much, you end up, you know, losing out on the reason why you're trying to be more productive in the first place. You end up hacking things to death, more hacking your life to death, right? So for me, it was a matter of finding out what wasn't working with the systems that I had been using and figuring out what would. And honestly, um, it was funny because since I got back from Tropical Think Tank, I was trying to figure out a way to to kind of relate it to something else that, I, you know, to, to something else that that, that I've see, I see others do. And I was watching this documentary on Bruce Lee, and he came up with his own martial art called Jeet Kune Do, which apparently he regrets naming it that at all. But it's called the style of no style or the way of the intercepting fist. Um, and, and it was interesting because he he was trained in um, a particular style. Well, one one in particular style of martial arts, and I can't remember it offhand right now. But when he, he got into a, a, a fight with someone, uh, an actual legitimate fight, he, it took him longer to win that fight than he would have liked. Um, and so he said, I, I need to, to make some changes. And that's kind of how I felt is, you know, this is not working for me as well. I need to find something that is simpler 
and is more flexible and is durable. It's going to, and, and I wanted to not only do it for myself, but I wanted to find something, if it was simpler and it was flexible and it was more durable, then I know it wouldn't just work for me. And so that's when I started to talk about the different elements of, you know, theming your time and, and, and mode-based work and, uh, you know, the idea of uh, the rapid review, because that's a lot of things that people don't really, those three areas are kind of like the core components of, of, of my methodology, the now year, the now year method. And so um, that's kind of how it, it, it rose. And it, it's, it, just like Jeet Kune Do, um, it, it's all, it, there are going to always be slight evolutions to it for the person. Cause Jeet Kune Do, as Bruce Lee has said, it's, 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 it's what you make it. It's what you bring to it that makes it what it is for you. And I think that I'm a big believer in personal productivity because I think a lot of what's happened is, is we've got caught in this circle of, oh, productivity and productivity is about getting as much as you can done in as little time as possible. Um, personal productivity to me is uh, having your intention. So whatever you intend to do, marrying it with the attention that you have. And we only have a certain amount of attention we can pay. Uh, marrying those two together. So intention plus attention. Because if you have all the intentions in the world to do something, but you don't have a way to pay attention to it, then it's it's powerless, right? But the other problem is if we have all this attention, but we have no intentional way to pay, to, to direct it, then it's directionless, right? So that's why we end up you know, people open up email first thing in the morning, and I'm not saying it's the, the worst thing in the world to do. Some people need to do that. You know, if you work in sales or customer service or whatever, maybe it's just the way that your work is structured. But the problem is if you open up email first thing in the morning and then you don't have a way to direct yourself back to the, the mandate that you set for yourself. And a lot of people open up email first thing in the morning and they'll get stuck in it all day because it's other people's things and it's other people's intentions, and you never get to your own intentions. So that's that's kind of where my system kind of grew out of. Is it grew out of trying other things, figuring out what really worked, adapting it, and then saying, you know, these things have kind of stuck, and let's make some you know minor tweaks along the way. I also wanted to make sure I had a, a framework in place that could work with a variety of different applications, whether you wanted to use paper or Microsoft Excel or Evernote or Todoist or whatever. I wanted to be able to say, hey, oh, you want to do this inside of Wonderlist? Here's how you do it. Oh, you want to do this inside of, you know, Asana? Here's how you do it. Like, because that's another element. A lot of people get stuck in the the tools, right? Like, oh, you know, um, I, a great example is, you know, you've got Kickstarter or Indiegogo when it comes to this stuff. Like, which one do you use? Well, I mean, there's benefits to to both and there's drawbacks to both, right? So, a lot of people will find a tool and say, if I use this tool, then I'm for certain going to be more productive. Uh, it's the same, it's the same thing. If, you, if someone said, if I use Kickstarter, uh, it's going to get me, it's going to give me my funding. Well, no, there's more to it than that. It's what you put into Kickstarter. That's going to give you that. Not, not necessarily the tool. The tool does play a role. If you did, if there was no Kickstarter, then your crowdfunding efforts would be, would be hampered for sure. But it's definitely not, it's not the be all and end all. Um, and that's, I think, another thing that people get stuck with is I wanted to make sure that they the they focused on the app within the approach first, so the app that they have their their own application, and then figure out what app that they could use because if an app shuts down, and we've seen this, anyone who works in technology has seen you know apps get acquired or shut down. You want to be able to say, all right, well, Astrid shut down. Uh, I'm going to move this over to OmniFocus now. And, oh, here's what this meant in Astrid, and here's what it means in OmniFocus, and boom. Uh, so the less friction you have moving something around, you want to be able to be adaptable and flexible with it. And it, it, it it's, again, when you spend a lot of time with this stuff, you get you get good at figuring out, you know, okay, well, this is 
this this needs to be part of the system. This is what's useful, and this is what needs to be tossed away. So it's funny, like I said, uh, since I got back from the trip, I've been reading a lot more on Bruce Lee, and I'm like, you know what? Other than the fact that I don't know a lick, <laughs> I can't throw a kick to save my life. There are some things that he has, and I'm like, you know, this this guy, him and I probably have a lot of similar thoughts revolving around the things we have a- expertise in. I think so. And, okay, so you brought up a really great example earlier about email because um, mm-hmm. I find that you you look at your to-do list for starters for people who are not they're new to this productivity thing and they're like okay I'll have my to-do list and one of those is the inbox and that takes they're in there all day it's 6 p.m. they got nothing done so you talk about the intention to clear the inbox but I'm curious about the how like you know you you have to measure have some way to like pull yourself out of that so could you tell me um, so that because I know there's different productivity hacks and or like apps for anyone depending on your situation, but what is your system for say not getting lost in the inbox or having tasks take way too long? Like I'd love to hear about how you actually apply some of these things to your own life and business. Sure. So first thing, I don't worry about getting my inbox to zero. That's the first thing. So. Uh, and that's that the, the term inbox zero has been thrown around a lot. Merlin Mann coined the term and he didn't mean it to become what it has become. Inbox zero is about just getting the, the, the clarity of what's there, not getting it to not getting to that magical number zero and going, oh, look, I got my email to zero because there are a lot of people that that's their goal. But then you ask them, so what else did you do today? They're like, well, I got my email to zero. I had 220 emails, and now I have none in my inbox. Well, great, but what? how's the book coming along? Or how's the can- how's that sales page coming along? Well, I couldn't get to it today because I had to get inbox zero. Well, that's not the goal. The goal is to get the right work done so that you could like, like the right work done so that you can get the right work done if you it, it, you know you and know what i mean what is so, the right work see that's the thing so for everybody it's going to be a little bit different right so for me email is email it can be a a, a pavlovian experience because uh, first off email becomes this trap because we have uh, we've attached this sense of urgency to it so it's being used incorrectly for a lot of people so for example getting an e- there's there's so it's user error so uh, if you get 18 emails from the same person a day, um, you need one of the things that you can do. And I've done this and I've actually last it was funny. I was at a an award ceremony recently and um, <laughs> the, the guy who ran the organization was next to the guy who worked in the organization. And Victoria is a pretty small town, so everybody kind of knows everybody. Yeah. And and, and so uh, the, the guy who works for him says, you know, what if I get these emails from, say, my boss and I'm getting like 10 or 12 emails per day? And I, I look at the boss and I say, the boss should batch those. So the boss shouldn't be like, when an idea comes to mind, the boss shouldn't say, I better email, you know, so-and-so right away. What they should do is they should, again, put it, you know, either put it in their, on their to-do list, whether it's paper or digital. And then the mode would be, so if I talk about mode-based work. So the mode or the resource, which is a type of mode, is let's say it's Jim. Jim is the, Jim is the person you want to email. Well, you put like, hey, here are all the things I want to email Jim. And I want to make sure I do it before this time. And then you have a list of the eight things or 12 things. And you can say, hey, Jim, here are, if you're going to use email, I mean, ideally, this would be assigned in a task manager anyways, but let's just assume that you don't do that. Um, you send them all of them. You say, hey, uh, just so you know, here are the 12 things that I need to, I need you to work on. Um, and can you get back to me with them? Um, because what that does is it doesn't interrupt their flow. 
right? So, I mean, if you're getting 12 emails scattered throughout the day, you're never going to get in any kind of deep work or any kind of flow state. And flow state's when the real magic happens. That's when the right work gets done because you can get into the creation of the sales page, or you can spend time editing. If you're, again, we'll, we'll relate it to Kickstarter. You're editing your Kickstarter video or, uh, you know, mapping out your perks or, or whatever. So I think that email, first off, that's number one is you need to structure it. So if you're, if you're sending emails, try to batch them so that they, you're not sending a person an email every, you know, 15 minutes or every half hour, or every hour, try to batch your requests or use something. If it's really urgent, don't use email. Email is not meant for urgency. Email is meant for for uh, email is meant to replace the letter. Um, you know, if you were going to if you were going to get a, a piece of correspondence from somebody back before email existed, you would mail them a letter or at best fax them or or send them a telegram. But it would take time. It's not something that happens instantly. But the phone does. The phone is instant, right? You pick up the phone, the person answers the phone, you're instantly in conversation with them. So that's where the use of another communication tool makes sense. Something like maybe uh, uh, IM or Slack. Slack is super popular for this, right? Mm-hmm. So again, you have you have intention for what the communication means. So, hey, if I send something to you via Slack, it's urgent. If I send it to you via email, it's not urgent, but you do need to work on it at some point. So it's about, again, kind of marrying what each of these mean and just defining that within your own organization. Now, if you're a solopreneur, this is up to you to set those boundaries. So I don't check email till like 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, So I get my first most important thing done. And remember, I'm on the West Coast. So by the time I check email at 10 a.m., it's 1 p.m. on the East Coast. So people are like, hey, I wonder, like initially people are like, I wonder where Mike is. I wonder, no, you know what? They don't wonder that. They don't. Um, there are so many, the problem with being on top of email to the point of, um, where, where you're constantly responding to it is that you set an expectation that you're always available, right? So, so if you answer an email and this is, and remember when you send an email, it's not just, oh, you're there. Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Okay. Sorry. We lost lost you for a second there. Um, so remember when you send an email, It's not just the message that they see, but it's the subject line, which is, you know, again, create better subject lines, number number one. Don't do re, 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 re Thursday. Like actually mention in the subject line what needs to happen, maybe action needed or response required or, you know, FYI or whatever. Make it clearer for the sender, for the receiver so they know. But the other thing, the time of day is there. So when someone like looks at their email, if you, you were to send an email at like 2 a.m., you know what that says? It says, Kirsten's checking email at 2 a.m. That's what it says, right? So even subconsciously, if the person emails you and you email them back at 2 a.m., they're going that that's there. And you, you've also set a precedent that you're willing to answer email at 2 a.m. Uh, so you have to be very clear about your boundaries. And, and it takes training people. This is something I learned at Costco too, right? Like at Costco, you cannot come in before. 10 a.m. is when Costco opens right? Uh, during the week. Uh, but it only opens for the business members and the executive members. Gold star members aren't allowed until 11 a.m. Do you know how long it took when we opened the one in Victoria to get the 11 a.m. people to understand they're not getting in until 11? Because the Nanaimo Costco was letting them in whenever they wanted. But our warehouse manager, the first warehouse manager we had, was like, 10 a.m. is when we, when we open for business and executive. That's why, the reason we do that 
is so that they can pay for you know their big bulk purchases at 11 a.m everybody else can come in we had to spend a lot of time cultivating that that boundary eventually people understood it and we had we would have the same people coming every day to test it you know like oh well it's all come on it's quarter two nope 11 o'clock you can come in at 11 o'clock and that's what you have to do with emails. You have to create boundaries around it. And once you, and whether that's I'm going to check email first thing in the morning, and then I'm going to check it again. So we dropped off again. I think we did. We? Okay. Yeah. So sorry. So, check it again for in the morning, and then okay. Okay. I'll, I'll go back. So you can decide. Like I'm going to check it. First thing in the morning, and then not again for two hours, or and then I'm going to check it like four times a day, or I'm going to check it at, at the top of the hour every hour, and I'm only going to spend fifteen minutes in it. Like you have to come up with some kind of 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 a framework or system surrounding it that you feel comfortable with, and it's going to take some trial and error. But uh, you know whether you say, hey, I'm going to horizontally theme my email time from nine to ten, and we'll talk about theming. I'm sure a little bit because that's that's one of the core components. Yeah. But but you have to you have to remember that email is not ultimately email is not the work you set out to do for the day. That's why it's not the right work all the time. The work you set out to do for the day is the stuff that you put in your to-do list. That's why I don't like people using email as a to-do list application. If it's a task, when I go into email, I literally look at the email and go, where does this belong? Does this, is this a piece of information? Is it an action item or is it both? Or is it none? If it's an action item, I move it to my task app. Like I will just instantly move it to Todoist or Asana depending on which, which, where, where it fits. Um, if it's a piece of information, I'll move it to Evernote. Because that's where it needs. That's where I put that stuff. I don't want it sitting in my inbox because the inbox is like a loading zone. It's not. It's not meant to be a storage facility. It's a loading zone. And then if I look at the other, if the email has neither an action item or reference material that I need, I just I archive it. I don't delete it. I archive it. And when I'm done that, like so, nothing sits in my email that need that 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 is that takes up. Uh, that that I haven't looked at and made that decision on. So sometimes I don't even like read the whole thing. I'm like, oh, I know I need to do this for Kirsten. Okay, I'm going to move this to Todoist. Or oh, I know, you know, this is this is the this is the uh, questions that she's got for me. So I'm going to move those to Evernote. Like that's where that stuff lives because inside of Evernote, the only person that that gets bothered is me. No one no one can reach me in Evernote, and no one can reach me in Todoist or Asana either, unless they unless I've given them the gates, like the key, like my team can do that. So, but I only worry about getting my email down to today. So if I get all of my emails answered up until today, and there and I have nothing, I, I call it inbox today. If nothing is there for for uh, for for you know, if 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 I see an email from yesterday there, I'm going to make a decision on it. If there's emails from today, I have I have that day of grace because I've tr- I've created this this thought of okay, well Mike might not get back to me today, but he will get back to me within a day. And that's kind of, or within a couple of days, depending on, on, and, and I, you know, I, you have to create that expectation. You have to culture, you know, cultivate those boundaries and it's hard to do, but it's necessary if you want to get some deep work done and do some of the bigger work that you really need to fo- focus on. I'm thinking that 
Uh, maybe I should even do a solo episode on how I've, I mean, I don't think what I do is relevant for the Kickstarter community, but more for like agency side with um, mm-hmm. inbox protection and stuff. Cause like I get bogged down by too many messages and stuff. And so we've like streamlined a lot of processes so that like, you know, when a client starts talking to me through email, as soon as they've paid and they're onboarded as a, as a paying client, like we take them off email. Yep. So, yeah. And you put them into wherever, whatever the, and that's exactly. the thing too. See, and the other thing is none of my team, we never communicate via email. We communicate inside of Slack. So in, so again, you've created this like, I know when I open email, if there is an email from a team member there, it's often forwarded from an outside source. Or like, hey, Mike, what should we do about this person? But more often than not, it's sitting in Slack. So when I open up my email, I can say, and, and the other thing is people don't look at the oldest messages first, they, they, which is what you should do. And another way to sort your email is to sort it by, by um by person. So don't sort it by date necessarily sort it by like, Hey, you know what? My boss, I want to make sure I see all the emails that have come from my boss. So let me make sure that I see those and they're going to be, you could filter them if you want, or you could just sort them by the name of the person say, Oh, look, Bob sent me 12 emails. I better deal with those first, get those out of the way and then jump into the work I really need to be doing. I love that. Um, so in the interest of time, let's pivot to one of my favorite things about your process, which is this the daily theming. Yeah. Um, I know that I've taken, and you, like, you'll definitely go into it because there are different ways to theme your day. But one of my biggest issues that I'm um, like fixing based on your feet, your advice is that I'm, Sometimes like, oh crap, it's Tuesday. I don't have a podcast episode. I need to release an episode. So you use batching by recording two podcasts every week. And I've now implemented that. And like, because when you said, yeah, I'm like six months ahead of um, scheduling or, or whatever that time is, that just sounded like a dream to me. And it's actually a really simple hack. If I just have two podcast recordings every week, then I'll be months ahead. So um like pay attention guys. Cause this theming thing really does work and it's like a lazy man's way to being productive. So Mike, do you want to dive into a little bit about theming? Sure. And it, it, it's a simple way to do it too, because what you're doing is when you wake up in the morning, instead of saying to yourself, what do I need to do today? What you're saying is what day is it? And then the day is defined for you. So you've predefined it. So for example, today we're recording this on my podcast day, actually. So it's audio video day. That's what I call it. And again, you want your themes to be broad enough that you're not going to pigeonhole yourself into one particular type of task per day. That's like, so for example, you might not want to make a day like Kickstarter day because you might not, I mean, that, that to me seems very too narrow almost, but you might want to call it administrative day, which is what my Mondays are. So what's, what's great about that is that it allows you to funnel your focus on, on a particular type of, of work. Uh, every single day of the week. And you need to do it for every single day of the week, whether it means, you know, even your weekends. And it's interesting because probably on your weekends, you're already theming it to a point like Saturday might be the day you do housework and Sunday might be the day where you, you know, go do some fun stuff outside. So just call Saturday, like, you know, household day and call Sunday, you know, outdoors day. And then all of a sudden what happens is by almost by osmosis is that you, your tasks that are associated with those kind of themes just move to those days. So I'll give you a great example. For Saturday, it's my family day. My kids, and my son is like six, so he the fact that he knows that the best day for us to do stuff is Saturday isn't because it's not a day that school's going on. It's because he knows that Sunday is my planning day, and we have time after school during the week to do other stuff. But if we want to do some really cool family stuff, 
he's going to say, hey, dad, I want to go see the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie or a new comic book movie or whatever. What Saturday can we go see that? So it's you've, you've you again, you've created this boundary and you've trained others around you to kind of know, hey, this is the kind of time. This is the day where that happens. And it also allows you when you theme your days and there's other types of theming, too. And I don't think we'll have time to get into all of it. But I mean, I'll definitely have you have a resource for everybody to look at this stuff. But it gives you permission to procrastinate. If And, and I'm going to be very clear that that's or deliberately delay is probably a better way to put it. But for example, Let's say, Kirsten, that you're recording two podcast episodes per, per week, which is which is what you're setting out to do. And then um, something comes up three weeks from now and it's really urgent and um, it, it comes out of left field and you look at your week and you go, all right, um, what day can I afford to give this my attention? So when can I, you know, when can I block? What, what day can I? Well, Wednesday seems to be I've got six episodes already in the can. I'm going to I'm going to maybe record one less episode or I'm going to um, not do any episodes and I'll do my this urgent stuff that needs to be done on the Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, I'm, I'm still I'm still ahead. I'm still you know, I'm still proactive about it. And that's happened to me. It actually happened to me again while we were traveling in the Philippines. Like I didn't have I'm obviously on audio video day. I wasn't doing a lot of audio video work for the three three weeks I was in the Philippines. In fact, I didn't do very much of it when I got back. I had a week back and and I because uh, it was spring break, I didn't want to be recording podcasts when my kids were here. So I just did show notes and stuff around the audio video work I needed to do, but I didn't record anything. And today is the first day I get to do that uh, after after my trip. So it gives you permission to to delay, to procrastinate, to deliberately delay. You can procrastinate purposefully, as Rory Vaden would say. And that's there's real power in that because it gives you the ability to, it, it makes you feel like you're in control of your time and your schedule, which you should be because it's the only thing you really, it, I mean, time, your time is your time and your time is now. So you need to be able to, to look at it and go, what can I do with this time that I have? Because you're not getting it back. It's not money you can earn back. You could do, you can, you can reverse a lot of things. You can, you can earn a lot of things back, but not time. And if you can be, you know, proactive about it and, and theming helps you with this. And again, same theme every single week. And if you have something that interrupts it, and we've talked about this too, like if a meeting shows up on a Wednesday, you do the meeting. And then when the meeting's done, you don't go, okay, well, let me check email or let me check Facebook. It's what day is it? Oh, it's Wednesday. Wednesday's audio video day. Okay. What audio video work do I need to do? And, and it just really funnels your focus and gets you moving in the right direction consistently. And that's the key. That's the key to productivity, really, is to be is to be moving forward with purpose consistently so that you can put out the best quality work you can efficiently and effectively. You say it so elegantly. I love it. <laughs> um, I think like, yeah, uh, I was on a mastermind call with, you know, James the Aussie James. Um, and he like week after TTT, he's like, my God, these theming days are insane. Like I, Tuesday's my content creation day. So I do it. I'm actually writing blog posts now. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's cool. Like when you look at the, say with planning a product launch, you know that you have things that you need to be doing. And if you can't carve out the time to do them, it would be good to, um, like most likely set aside one or two like afternoons of a week to do that. 
um, or admin or whatever, and just like bleed that into it and just make sure it's like intention to move your project forward with it. Um, I think that when how I manage my time with project management is I look and see what can I do now that will give me the results I want. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily like inbox work. For me, it's more, okay, we need to have a Kickstarter page created, so I need to get a graphic designer and copywriter to do that. Um, and I look against timelines, and then I'll like plan backwards to see, and then um, based on daily theming, which I'm starting to integrate, I'm going to say, like, okay, the my this is my day for client work, for example, where I'm going to make sure that I'm like moving those pieces of the project forward. Right, right. Well, and the other thing is, again, I talk about monthly theming as well, which is Every month should have a theme, or at least ten. I don't theme every month. I theme all but the the summer months because my kids are my monthly theme when the kids are out of school. But uh, like, so for example, if you're working, if you want to work on a on, on a on a product launch, or you want to do product creation, and let's say you want to build, uh, you know, like a I don't know whatever product you're going to build, if you make that your overarching focus focus for the month and that's your monthly theme then what happens is you could say oh monday's admin day okay well great what admin work should i do well what's my monthly theme oh my monthly theme is this product okay what admin work should i do around this 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 product it just gives you this ability to really narrow your focus down because what happens is is we have this part of our brain and we all know it's called the lizard brain or the or the you know the the uh, fight or flight uh, Mm -hmm. part of your brain and that brain will always try to find a way to do as little work as possible because it doesn't like to do work. It just likes to be able to lounge around and, and just wants to do what it needs to do to survive. And then there's the, you know, the, the highly evolved, the prefrontal cortex part, which is like, no, listen, like I want to achieve. I want to, I, I know there's more here than what, what than just lazing around and, and, you know, um, living. Uh, I want to, I want to thrive. I just don't want to survive. And, and when you, when you lay down these simple boundaries, these simple, um, you know, approaches, these, these little, these little waypoints, then your brain can't argue that that part of your brain, that's the fight or flight can't argue with the prefrontal cortex because it often wins that fight, you know, but if you say, uh, okay, it's Wednesday, what do I do now? That all of a sudden the, the, you, you, unless you've got a really solid framework in place and one that, you know, oftentimes is too rigid for you to maintain, that part of your brain that's the 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 lizard brain goes, oh, I don't know, what do you want to do? Let's check email. Email, it, someone will tell us what to do in email, and then that way we can just do whatever they want. Um, whereas if you say, well, no, hold on a second, Wednesday's audio video, we we defined that, you know, weeks ago. All right, and then the other, then that lizard brain goes, okay, well, what audio video work do you want to done, huh? Hey, smart guy, what do you want to do? Like, well, you know, I'm building this product, so what if I did audio video work around this product because that's my monthly theme? Oh, all right. Well, yeah, but you got this meeting coming up today. There's no way that you could do. Well, no. Once the meeting's done, then I can go back into that because that's what my daily theme is, and I will. And and that other part of your brain eventually goes fine. Like it just gives up because it has nothing. It, you've already set everything up in advance, and that's that to me is is really key. And and some people won't be able to use daily themes on their own. They'll have to use some horizontal theming as well, which is where you basically say, okay, so Wednesday is my audio video day. But from nine to eleven is when I do, you know, my recordings. So that's my recording time. So I'm going to do that across the board. So you can do like a combination of different types of theming, and it really, again, it's really effective because it gives you the ability to just, like you said, like kind of look at things and plan farther out and know that okay, if it if, if things don't work out this week or this day or whatever, that because I'm so far ahead. Or because I've set up this other date, instead of you pushing things to the next day and the next day and the next day, you can go. All right, well, I guess just next Wednesday is when this is when some of this is going to happen, and the rest I'll fit in, 
you know, I, I won't have to do it all. I'll maybe do one of these things on a day that isn't necessarily themed as such. But then once I'm done that thing, I'll go back to that theme day. So it just gives you a lot more flexibility and, and, and confidence. And I've talked to people who said, you know, I've kind of been doing this already, but I didn't really realize I was doing it. And they, they weren't necessarily doing it entirely. But like I said, they were probably saving their household chores for Saturday or they are or they had a day where they said, this is when I do this on certain days. So I think a lot of people are kind of doing it. So it's not that much of a stretch when I when I show people this that they can get they, they don't think oh, there's no way I can do that. They, they're willing to at least give it a shot. And I'm glad that you and James and a bunch of other people from Tropical Think Tank, I've got a lot of messages saying, hey, I, this is really working for me. And I'm so glad it is. Yeah, I, I love that. You're giving me like more ideas too because I you know I have heard some of this stuff already from your talk but it's it's a different angle and different um yeah I'm just I'm getting a lot of like ideas churning I'm like writing notes as we go um, awesome but I want to pivot over to the Kickstarter backer sure thing. so sure. my first question around that is why do you back Kickstarter and Indiegogo projects Okay, so I think the first reason I back them is because I, when I was doing creative art, like so when I was a performing performance artist and doing like comedy and sketch comedy and improv, um, man, I wish something like that was there for me. Like I know how hard it is to build something from nothing and want to see it, you know, go well. Um, it's very hard to build uh, something from scratch, whether it's a, again a creative endeavor or whether it's a product or whatever. And put it out into the world and, you know, kind of cross your fingers and hope for the best when before Kickstarter. Um, you're, you're really kind of saying this is this thing I'm going to build and I hope you like it. And if you like it enough, please, you know, back it and support it. I've always kind of understood crowdfunding to be that. I've never understood it to be a store, which a lot of people do, um, which is wrong because it's not a store. Uh, as, as you know, and I've had a few that, you know, I've never received the, the things that I, I was promised as an investor. Cause that's really what you are is you're an investor. So I think that's where I kind of fell in love with the idea. In fact, when I look back at some of my first, um, the first project I ever backed was in 2010, uh, might even have been 2009. Um, it was a pilot episode for the dramatic series pioneer one. And I, I popped in 50 bucks. The next thing I did was a film for five bucks, and it was a local film here in Victoria. Then I started to really kind of, and actually the 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 fourth one that I backed was uh, Zifrank, who's a who I loved his work. He was doing a thing called the the sh the show, and uh, I backed that. So a lot of it was like artistry stuff, but then I started to see some of the stuff that was being created, like physical products, and of course, almost everything that I've backed since then is related to like being more productive or or. Uh, so that's kind of where I, I got started with it. And I love the idea of, of, I mean, I've been there. Starting something from nothing is hard and it'd be great. I would have loved it to have more help when I first got started. So I figure it's kind of my way of paying it forward. Yeah, I really like how you say that because I get a lot of, um, at least I've had five a handful of people come to me and say, I just don't understand why someone would support a project. And I, I end up having to explain Basically, what you've said, as well as you know, you get really cool gadgets, but it's the pay it forward model. Yeah, I mean, and the gadgets. I mean, the thing is, is that, and I've, I mean, it's funny because I've, I've also, so as many as I've backed thirty seven, I've backed thirty seven projects on Kickstarter and four on Indiegogo. Um, so that's forty one. But I've also uh, pulled out of 
18 projects altogether. And all but one of them, the ones I pulled out of, were successful. And a lot of them were pulled out of because I'm like, okay, you know what? I, um, I already have, uh, I already have this thing, you know, like I already have, um, I, I, I don't necessarily need this thing. And so the ones I've backed out of are often things that, that, you know, I'm like, well, this seems extraneous that I don't really need it. And, or, and, or, um, I found another product that someone is building that I think serves my needs better or would serve the general public better. Um, and I think that like, I've backed a lot of notebooks, like planners, I've backed a lot of pens. I've backed a lot of like just technological devices and I've backed some pretty decent, you know, board games as well. Um, you know, uh, and some of those things that I've backed have been, you know, uh, I've even backed events. Like my biggest one I ever backed was a local event here in Victoria and I backed that at the $2,500 price point. So it was like a pretty decent chunk of, I think it was 2,500, but it was a pretty decent, uh, a chunk of change because I believed in what they were trying to build. Yeah, it was 2,500 Canadian. Um, so, and I still have four, five, six products that I'm, that six back open, open, uh, open pledges that are kind of, uh, they're done. And, um, one I, sh- uh, and again, I'm looking at them. One, one is so old that I should have received it. Um, uh, I should have received it. Oh man, this would have been like, this is like six years old. So I know that that project's not going to work. And that was a $50 pledge or $69 pledge. Another one, again, this was supposed to be delivered in 2014. I backed it for 20 bucks. And then the other ones are all recent. Like the other ones, one was due in January, but these guys, and the other thing is I'll also back projects from people. And this, I think this drives some people nuts, but I'm okay with it from people who've already had a successful campaign. So like, like the guys who like studio neat, who built like the glyph and the ice kits. And I've backed almost all of their stuff directly from there for two reasons. Number one, I want to see it get made. And frankly, number two, I'm going to get a significant discount as an investor because I'm going to get, you know, the new glyph for $32 us as opposed to paying $50 or whatever it is. But I've got, um, four products four four uh, in pledges that are, I'm waiting for the thing right now. And then I've had some that I've, I've had to cancel because as my wife had said, you know, Hey, uh, no, uh, please, please don't back that kettle. And I actually had to put, I think we had the, one of the stories I shared with you is uh, they said, why are you canceling your pledge? I'm like, my wife said so. <laughs> it's so brutal honesty. Um, it's very common for campaigns to either be delayed with delivery or just yeah. not deliver. What, like knowing this, cause you've backed 41 projects and you have not had all of them, uh, come to fruition and get shipped to you or like whatever, um, fulfilled, I guess. Right. Mm -hmm. So what are some concerns that you would have being a backer of new projects you would support knowing that there's a chance it may not fulfill? Like, how do you know that a, what are your concerns with B what is it when you're scanning this project to make you think that this is something that's safe, a safe investment for you? I would say that one of the things that, that I look at is how, how ambitious it's funny. I almost look at how, how ambitious they are and their timelines. So that's a big thing, right? Like there's three, there's actually three things I look at. So I will look at, 
and again, I compare it to other projects. So, keep, so I'll do this by comparing either the projects I've already backed because I, I, I like to back similar things, but also I compare it to, you know, what, what I, what I believe will take a while to do certain things. And it's funny because of having backed enough, I have a sense of this. So if they, I mean, the video is always the catchy thing for a lot of people, but don't, do not judge it on its video alone because uh, while the video is really important, it's important to look at like how much they say they want to want to earn. Like if like if they're building, if they're making like a coat, for example, or an article of clothing, and they only want ten thousand dollars to bring it to life, uh, I would be very wary of that because um, if if they're making a really high end video and they're saying I want ten grand, um, it's kind of like okay, well, do you only have the resources to deliver up to $10,000 worth of this? And I've seen this happen. I'm sure you have too, where they, where they've said, uh, Oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to, we, we want $10,000 and we'll be ready to go. And then they make a hundred thousand and they can't possibly deliver in time or at all. And they run into manufacturing issues and stuff like that. Cause that's another thing. So I look at that. I look at, um, I like to see simple perks. I don't like to see 15 different types of perks. And stretch goals have kind of allowed people to um, be better with their perks nowadays, where in the early days it was just pledge $1 and get this, pledge $5, pledge 10 Like if I see more than five perks, I'm kind of like, all right, you know, that's, I'm a little bit nervous about that as well. And then just the, the, the timeline. So, I mean, again, one of my projects that I've backed is was due in January of 2017 as we're recording this. And that's, it's basically four months, well, almost four months ago now. Um, if, if I didn't, um, I, I haven't even commented on it or anything like that because I know who the people are that are building it. But I would, around this time, you start to see people asking, Hey, where's my thing? Where's this? Where's that? If I'm not seeing updates and stuff like that, I normally make a note of it and I won't back those people again. Um, these guys are, are studio needs, so I'm not worried about it. So I kind of look at those things like the video is important, but I want to see how often they're updating. I want to see timelines and I want to see what their, uh, what their perks are, how many do they have. But the big, but I think the biggest thing is like, when do they expect to deliver? Um, and actually I could say that three of the four right now I should have received by now. Um, or will be, should have, should be receiving by the end of this month. And I think I'm probably only going to receive one of those three. Um, so, so, you know, patience is important, but, you know, kind of, and compare them to existing projects. So if you're backing a pen, look at other pens that, that have already been backed and say, okay, um, this person says it's going to take this long to build their pen. And this person takes this long. This says it's going to take half the time. Why? Like, what's their plan to make it so that it's not going to take as long? Um, not every project that I've backed has been great. I mean, I'm looking at a few of them and I'm like, okay, you know, I really wish I didn't back this one. I really wish I didn't back this one, but I would say it's literally like a, a 70, 30 split. You know, there's been no, no, I've not, I've not regretted it to the point where I'm like, why did I, you know, why did I back this thing? And, and uh, man, I'm so upset. Um, I've only lost, like I said, about 79 bucks. Uh, which is not, not, or 89 bucks. It's not the worst thing in the world. So, but it, I think it's attributed to me doing my research. You're investing. So be an investor, like research, like an investor. If you're going to invest in a stock or a, you're going to do your research or you're going to have somebody do it for you, do the same, like compare it to other projects and say, you know why this timeline seems off or, and ask questions, 
like they're you're giving them the money like say hey you know what you say that you can get this thing done in three months from now after the campaign ends but i've seen other campaigns where it's going to take six months like what what makes you different and and um that that will inspire confidence and, and it'll also inspire it'll it'll increase your reputation as a backer too great i have two last questions sure. um the first one is knowing that you've seen behind enemy lines of being a backer what if you were to ever do your own kickstarter project what would be the one thing you would put the most emphasis on to ensure a good backer journey with you and relationship with you updates can be be very consistent with your updates i would be updating backers once a week i wouldn't care i wouldn't i wouldn't care if there's not much to say, it's kind of like, you know, when I talk about, um, on, in my, in my presentation where I talked about journaling and you saw the one slide where my journaling said, still have writer's block and then uh, an expletive. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't, I didn't write much that day, but I wrote something and that's the consistency. So again, I would be saying, Hey, it's Wednesday. It, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's update Wednesday and here's, here's what's going on. Um, you know, nothing, no, no progress here, uh, you know, um, progress here. Like it, I would be very consistent with the updates. Obviously there's some core things you want to make sure like the video must look good and the right amount of perks and all that. But I think the thing that often gets neglected is the updates. And I can tell you right now when updates get, when, when I see, uh, updates happening further and further apart to me, that tells me the project's running into issues. Do you know what I mean? Because people don't want, you, no one wants to disappoint anybody. No one wants to deliver bad news. But if you deliver news consistently, then it's easier to swallow bad news. You know, we're like, hey, you know what? Um, uh, the, the manufacturing is taking longer because we're dealing with, um, you know, some delays at, at a port or something like that. And I've seen that happen before. But I mean, I had a, an e- email that came from one of the campaigns that's so old that said, you know, we were too ambitious and da 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 da. And it was like a, um, uh, you know, a, 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 it was like, oh my gosh, it must have been like 4,000, 3,000 3, words. It was really long. And the problem I have with that update is there hadn't been one in a long time. Number one. Number two, they'd had a second Kickstarter campaign already. So I'm like, ah, you know, th- like I wouldn't trust them again. You know, and, and so I think that that's the biggest key. If you're as a as a if I was going to do a project and, and I may, uh, I would be consistent with the updates because it's the community that's going to help you. They're going to be reviewing the product. They're going to be you want to make sure that you're up front with them consistently because um, that's going to lead to uh, the 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 relationship and the trust building. So if you're going to do it, be like pick a day of the week every week where you're going to send an update and send one. And it doesn't have to be long. It just has to be consistent. Yep. I can't agree more. I can do an entire episode on this because of some of the, um, you think some of these startup founders know that they need to communicate with people because that's just what you need to do. They just don't do it. So that's like something I'm really, when I close off a client, I'm like, this is the update schedule you need, even if you have nothing to say, because people will jump to the worst conclusions. And this is like, it's public, right? So. Yeah, and a lot of people still think that, that that crowdfunding is a store. They still do. They're like, you know, where's my where's my pen? I bu- I I backed you three months ago, and I'm waiting for my pen still. It's not Amazon. <laughs> it's <laughs> I not. know. I know. It's not. But so you have to be so the more transparent you are, and the only way you can be transparent is with updates. 
um, you know, it's the best place to do it too. And people are like, oh, and that's the thing is that I've had people say, well, Kickstarter's updates are hard to follow. No, they're not. Not if you do it consistently. If you do one every single week, it's the same day. People know that it's just like blogging or anything else. If you say, hey, I'm going to do a Facebook Live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. And you do it every Wednesday at 1 p.m., people will know that it's going to be there at 1 p.m. Plus, they get emails and all that stuff. So don't throw that line at me because it's it's not true. It's it, You need to be... Um, if you're upfront with your, with your backers, then not, and cause remember you're only as good as your last project. So if you, if you screw this one up and then you're like, Oh, I have this other great idea. I'd like to be, they're not going to follow you because you weren't, you weren't transparent. You weren't updating them along the way. People want to know what's going on. And if you give them that information there, that's all you can do. Even if things aren't going the way you want them to go, it, as long as you're being consistent with that updating, um, throughout the campaign from day one through day until, until delivery. And then, and then you can change it afterwards because you've already delivered. And then you can do an update maybe once a month after this and say, Hey, you know, here's what some people are doing with this product, which I think is really cool. And that you can do all that stuff. But during the process, until every single pledge is fulfilled, you need to be consistent with those updates. I love this. And I do have, I, we both have another call in five minutes. So my last question is first, well, two pronged, where can people find out more information about you potentially working with you? And earlier you also mentioned something about a freebie. So where's the best place for people to go? Where do you, okay. So I've got, I've got a URL and I'm going to get you to give me the URL, but it's productivityist.com slash, where do you want me to send them? Uh, Uncut. U-N-C-U-T. Uncut. There you go. So there I will have, um, I'll have a, a, what I call, um, it's a product I used to sell called the Now Your Action Plan. So I'll, I'll put that in there for everybody. And that way they can, they can. it's going to give you a lot of the nitty gritty of what we've talked about today. So you go there um, and uh, you'll be able to get that. And there's other stuff that I'll, I'll throw in that on that page as well. But that'll give you everything that you need to know. Productivities.com slash uncut. Amazing. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, I, I can see a round two coming up at some point in the future because we can just talk clearly for a long time. So, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'd be happy to be back on for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show and like sharing your wealth of expertise and, and everything. Thanks so much for having me, Kirsten. Really appreciate it. All right, guys. If you guys want to head over to productivityist.com slash uncut, grab those freebies. If you don't know how to spell productivityist, I'm going to be putting those in the show notes, which will be available at crowdfundinguncut.com slash blog. And it will be one of the most recent episodes. And also, if you're in the middle of planning your product launch, um, my product launch checklist has been coined the Bible of crowdfunding. I'm not making this up. Someone just emailed in and said, this is my new Bible. Um, so you want to pick that up. It's a freebie and it's, it outlines my entire launch process from start to finish over a six-month period. So that's available at crowdfundinguncut.com. Um, but again, thanks so much. Uh, I love you guys and we'll see you next week. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and 
scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launchpad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launchpad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.